Good morning. I've had quite a few of you tell me how excited you are to talk about doubt. That makes one of us. I, uh, I don't know how to do this, and I'll be the first to tell you I've read and read and I've read and I've read and I've thought and I've thought. I went to grad school and I doubted and I thought and I read and I doubted. And the only way to do it is just to talk about it. I don't know how to do it, but I can tell you that nothing I'm going to say, you know, you, you feel completely inadequate to do this. And so I thought I should start with at least showing you, if, if you're interested in these topics, I, you can, I would love to talk to you. But these are the people that I've been reading and listening to. And it's one thing to read scripture and think about doubt and think about the doubts that are in there. These people helped me think about it. And today in particular, I'll forget to name names and say, I want to be real clear, this morning in particular, Andy Stanley does a series called Who Needs God? And it's six sermons, one after the other, wrestling with God. And I just wanted to be real clear, I'm not smart enough, Uh, you can come ask me any question you want and I'll struggle through it. And I just love Jesus and I want to talk about it. Is that fair? So 15 years ago, my friend Everett Quarter had a sixth grade band concert. Now, if you've ever been to a band concert of a sixth grader, it is something to behold. It's when you know that mothers are Jesus because they think it sounds awesome. It does not. (laughs) The noise that comes out of these instruments... I love you, Everett. It's terrible. It's just this... But I was a youth minister at the time, so let's go and we'll do it. It'll be great. The best part was that I decided to bring my three-year-old son. So Brock, now sitting over here as an 18-year-old, I don't know that he remembers this at all. But when the music started, he knew it. Because he spun and looked up at me with these eyes of, what is that? And you know what you have to do at that very moment. You have to, you know your kids, what do you have to do in that moment? You have to, no, we don't shush. Because shush is not going to stop that kid. This is a full-on grab him by the mouth and go, stop it right now. But then you also have to go, I know, I know, just don't say anything. Well, the two or three songs go, and they go. And at the end of it, I accidentally let go of his mouth. And after everybody finishes clapping, it's dead silent, and Brock Wade screams at the top of his lungs, Make it stop, Dad! Make it stop! There's two people groups that get to say whatever they want. The young who don't know any different and the old who don't care anymore. And that has something to do with black socks and sandals and I'm not sure yet, but I'm getting there. But what if we could say what we really thought? What if we could actually wrestle with the things that we wrestle with instead of being... Kyle, you can't ask that. You can't say that. You can't feel that. You can't experience that because your questions 
You, you, you just need to take those questions and you just need to have faith and believe. I know, Dad, I'm trying. I know, youth minister, I'm trying. But what if you could say whatever you wanted? Like, let's do a thought experiment. What if each of you, when I asked a question, there came a thought bubble over the top of your head and you answered the question without saying a word? Like, for instance, what if I asked you tech fans about what you thought about yesterday's game? Sorry, no cuss words in your thought bubbles. That's not okay. But what if you could see each other's real thoughts? And so if I asked a question closer to this, what comes to your mind when you think of God? What comes to your mind when you think of the church, faith, suffering, hurt? What what comes to mind? What would you see in this room if you could actually see it? Absolutely, there would be people who would... Their thought bubble would be full of everything that you think should be in there. There would be this picture of, I cannot believe that Jesus loves somebody like me. I can't believe that I get to be a part of the story of God. I can't believe he loves me. The resurrection is unbelievable. There would be plenty of people in this room who their thought bubbles would be full of awesome. But you know that's not everybody, right? I grew up in a world where we just all assumed everybody thought those things or the right things or the good things, and we didn't think about the bad things or the hard things. And so when we did, we just kept it to ourselves. But in this room, there's people who are struggling with how judgmental the church feels right now. Is that okay for that to be? Here, there are people in this room and they're wrestling with I didn't think this was how it was going to go and if God is God then how come or I'm sitting in this room with hundreds of people and I feel all alone or why is Jesus so awesome but his people are so Not sometimes. Is it okay for that to be there? Is it okay to wrestle with that? Is it okay to struggle with that? Is it okay to be sitting in this room and go, you know, I can just be a good person and I'll be honest with you, I just really am not interested in church. I'm not interested in, I don't understand this whole sit and listen to the bald guy talk. I don't really, I don't see the point and the purpose. And so I'm still here, but I'm not real sure why. What if that was in their thought? What if that's the person next to you? Is that okay? Or why cancer? Why suffering? Why, if he's so good, would he send somebody to hell? Why, why, why? Or maybe even more poignant, I don't know. And maybe even more poignant today is, I just don't care anymore. Is it okay to have that and to wrestle with it? I really think so and hope so and know so. 
You remember in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus is coming off the mountain of transfiguration, he's just shown his three guys, Peter, James, and John, his true self. They're walking down and the disciples are messing with something. Remember this? And there's a dad and his son, and his son has this thing going on, and the disciples can't help him. And the story goes something like this, Mark chapter 9. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus said. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help my unbelief. Did you hear it? Remember, we can't please God without faith. I get that. I'm not saying faith is is what we're talking about. But here's this dad, and he shows up and goes, I do believe, except when I don't. I do believe, except when I struggle to. I want to believe, but right now, And what I love about this story is that Jesus heals the boy. It's not totally contingent on me having all the right answers and my thought bubble being completely right and me being able to say, come talk to me about faith and we'll we'll get this thing figured out. It's not contingent on me. Remember the psalmist, where are you God? Why won't you show up? How come? Remember the disciples, how many times did they mess this thing up and go, But the reality is the church hasn't been a safe place to ask these questions, has it? We're, we're a little concerned that somebody might see. I wish, I wish I could let people see what happens in my office and in these coffee shops and at lunches and how many people say something like this. Kyle, if you knew what I really thought, if you knew my real questions or my theology or what I believe about a particular... And I just laugh. I'm like, you haven't... I promise you at this point in the ballgame, I've heard it. But if you can't talk about it, you got two choices. You know what they are, right? Choice number one, fake it. Choice number two, quit. And you do understand that's what's happening in our culture. In our faith churched culture, these are the statistics. These are the people groups. Go ahead and just throw them all up on for us. These are the, the percentages of the generations who still identify as Christian. There is a difference between identifying as a Christian and actually being a Jesus follower, right? So the, this isn't disciples. These are just people on a research that said, I'm a Christian. And you see the slow fade, don't you? 
But atheism isn't where people are running to. We've seen the books by Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens, and we've even hollered and screamed about them. But there aren't many people that I talk to who are ready to think that all we are is cell membranes and nothing matters. Not many people I know are ready to throw out everything. The fastest growing demographic right now in our religious culture is this word. They're called nuns. They're not against Christianity. They're just unaffiliated, disconnected, don't know, don't care. Not real interested. It might be true, it might not. It really doesn't affect what I'm really interested in is what I have going in my life. They see Christianity as unappealing, unengaging, irrelevant, and unscientific. In 2009, 17% of the U.S. population said they were nuns. In 2019, 26% of our population said, just don't really care. It's just not really that interesting. Not interested. And 40% of all millennials mark this in their category, as their category. So why are we talking about this? Here's the moment I wish I had the thought bubbles. And you desperately are glad that I don't. We're talking about this because you know these people. They're your grandchildren. They're your sons and daughters. And you realize in this room, they're us. We're hanging on. I'm I'm at church, but I'm really not sure why. I, I, I say some things, but I'm not sure. And Jesus really hasn't transformed anything. I'm just here. We're having this conversation because it's not there. It's it's here. So this morning, I I, want to say two things, and I am talking directly to this people group. And so if you're not in this people group, I I would be shocked if you don't have somebody in your family. I would be shocked that doesn't fall into this category right here and right now. But let's just say you don't. Sorry. Bear with me. Number one, I want to say this to you guys. I'm sorry. Andy Stanley says it very plainly. He said, people that believe Christianity is unappealing and unengaging, he says, that's the church's fault. Because the picture of Christianity from Scripture is a, do you want to join me in changing the world? And we've made it into a sit and get and behavior-oriented exercise. And our younger generations are saying, nah, I think I'll pass. I know I'm not good enough. I'm not right enough. I think I'll pass. I want to say to the people in this room that fall into this category, 
I'm sorry that's the church that you grew up in. I'm sorry I was the youth minister that could have given you that message. I'm sorry that some of your questions haven't been answered or you felt like you couldn't ask them. I'm sorry for not just the church's past and some of the struggles from the ancient past, but some of them probably from the, this week and this month and this year. But, number two, before, before you leave, and that's what's happening, right? It's just a slow fade. Before you leave, I want to ask you this question. What God are you doubting? Follow me? Yes, some of your criticisms are fair, but all of the deconversion stories that I, that I sit with people and listen to them tell the story, every time I hear the story, it's like, okay, okay, okay. None of them have to do with biblical Christianity. None of them have to do with the God that we call Yahweh. People are leaving, and I'm going, which, which God is it you're doubting? Who told you that God was like that? We have adopted some gods. Think about Exodus 32. You remember this? Moses is coming down the mountain, and what has Aaron done down there? You remember this? There's a golden calf, and what did they call the golden calf? Yahweh, it's God. They're not say, they're, they weren't trying to create another God. They took a picture of God and made one that was for them. Right then and right there that fit their needs in their time and in their space. And do you remember God's response? Moses, could you move over? Moses, get out. And Moses has to talk God down off the cliff in this moment. Which, that's funny to me for some reason. But before you go, before your son or daughter or grandchildren goes, I'm not interested in faith, ask them this question. Which God is it that you're doubting? Which God is it that you're uninterested in or that's unappealing or that's not a part of what this world is about? Which God is it? I want to throw you a few of them that I see. Again, some of these are Andy Stanley's. Again, go watch his sermons. Way better than this one. But I want you to think about which God is it that you struggle with or struggle to believe in or struggle to care about or struggle to think is significant. Number one, Let's call him bodyguard God. Bad things won't happen to good people. Nobody teaches this. Nobody teaches this. Nobody experiences this. But we have gotten something in our DNA that says good people shouldn't suffer. God is my bodyguard. He, he's going to protect me because things should go well for me. Hmm. If God was really loving, he wouldn't have allowed, and you fill in the blank, anxiety, fear, depression, cancer, hate, bigotry, you name it. 
So because I see God from a certain lens that is not a biblical picture, I go, that, that God, I, I, I'm done with this God. I, I can't handle this God. My question is, who told you that? Who told you that this is what God was like? Was it Job? Was it Job that said, hey, you can, you can count on this guy to make sure you're happy? Was it the disciples? Was it Paul after he was beaten in prison and he was singing going, don't worry about it, everything's good? Who told us that? If you've lost faith, if you're uninterested, if, you've, if you're just kind of tired of the whole church scene and you worship bodyguard, let, let, let me say this. Good. That God does not exist. You're exactly right. You should get rid of him right now. Take him and throw him away and don't ever come back. That God does not exist. But that is not Yahweh. Number two, guilt God. God only loves me when I'm good. How many of you have wrestled with guilt God besides me? This is that moment that they're like, I'm not, I, 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 most of you should raise your hand here. He controls with guilt and shame. He loves me, but I don't think he likes me very much. Who told you that? Who told you that that was what Yahweh was like? Was it the prodigal son? Was it the older brother in that Luke 15 story who even his self-righteousness, the father walked out and said, everything I have is yours. Come on back in here. Was it Romans 8? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no, none, zero. Yes, Kyle, but that's a slippery slope you're on because God is grace and he is truth. Yes, but he is grace. Guilt God wears me out. Guilt God causes depression and fear and anger and hatred and this idea that I've got to measure up. And have you ever noticed when we measure up, we, we, we do one of two things. We push other people down because they're not measuring up the way we think they should. And we feel guilty because we're not like him or her or them. Who told you that's what God was like? If you've lost faith in that God... Good. That God does not exist. And he is killing biblical Christianity. Number three, transactional God. If I do this, God will bless me with that. The funny thing is, you know, the... God, please be with my team tonight. I've gone to church. I just want to win this game as if there aren't children of God on the other team. That just always cracks me up. It's like, aren't we all children of God? But I've prayed a little bit harder, so we should win. 
Or I've prayed a little bit harder so my wife should understand. I should not go there. Stop. (laughs) If I do these things for God, then I will get. And this one's harder to me because where did you get this? You got it in Proverbs. Right? There are half-truths that we take individual slivers of Scripture and make a theology out of it. This is in Proverbs. And it's in Deuteronomy. Do you remember this? If, my pe- if, they, if they'll do this, then things will go well. If you don't, things will not. This, it, there is truth in this. But Job and Ecclesiastes and, and let's keep looking at the biblical picture rather than this sliver. So if you've lost faith in the transactional God, good. If you're tired of that God because you just keep giving and giving and giving and he won't give back the way you think, good. Get rid of him. He doesn't exist. My personal favorite Just like me, God. God would never, ever, ever do anything that I don't think he should. And he's going to react to people and places and things and situations just like I would. So when he sees this people group being something happening, well, I... Why won't God? Well, God would always respond just like I think he should. And if he doesn't, well, then he doesn't exist. (laughs) The assumption is, if I wouldn't do it that way, then he would never do it that way. (laughs) God and I are always on the same page. If you've lost faith in that God because he's not doing it the way you think he should, good. He made the universe, but he's supposed to do it the way I think he should? Do you realize how dumb we sound? You're like, how you sound like a moron. Yes! When you say these things out loud that we just hold on to and we picked it up along the way from church and our folks and and every one of those people loves Jesus and wants Jesus and I'm not critiquing those people in any way because our enemy seeks to kill and steal and destroy, right? This is him putting us in this sleep This anesthesia of going, that's what God's like, that's what God's like, that's what God's like. But if you don't believe in this transactional God because, well, he's just not coming through, good. Wednesday night, I was with our fifth and sixth graders. They let me hang out with fifth and sixth graders, which is really dangerous. I don't understand why they let me do that. But I'm wanting to give them a picture of God that's unlike some of the things that we're talking about. And so we were talking about Genesis. I said, tell me the story because I was trying to get to Exodus. That's where we were starting this last Wednesday. And I said, tell me the stories and the people. And we went through all of it. And here were some of the words they gave me. What is God like? He is a creator. He is trustworthy. He is love. He is just. He is patient. And then we read Exodus 1. 
Anybody remember Exodus 1? For 400 years, this God let his people stay in slavery. And you're like, you're teaching fifth graders? Yes, I am. And we had come in here and we had acted it out, which was hilarious. And then we walked back in there and I had those names or those words listed on the whiteboard. And I said, guys, does this God seem like he is trustworthy to you? And there's that kind of silence. And they were like, uh, does this God seem like he is loving? And this young man, young fifth grade kid raised his hand. You know what he said? He goes, not yet. Do you hear it? Because he sees this, the whole story. He knows what's coming. Is, does this God that's, that's putting you through the ringer right now, that you're doubting, that you're struggling with, does he seem like love? Remember what happened at the cross. Remember what's coming. Let me end with this. And I don't, I don't even think I have time to read it all, but one of my favorite stories in this realm is John the Baptist. Of all the people that knew Jesus was Jesus was John the Baptist, Right? Before he ever came out of his mother's womb, he leapt. He knew who Jesus was, right? He's the one that pointed and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. If there's ever been a human being that had no reason to doubt, it was John the Baptist. Hmm. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Do we need to go on? I mean, there's more that, I ha- that I've got. Do we need- Here's John the Baptist. Where is he? Where is he? He's in prison. What's going to happen to him shortly? He's going to die. Of all the people who have no reason to doubt him, this is our guy, and when things get down, guess what happens? John goes, uh, you're going to get me out of here, right, Jesus? And do you remember what happens at the end of this story? Jesus' words, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me, a.k.a. blessed is the man who figures out it's not going to go the way you think it should. If you've left faith, or if you're struggling with the church meaning anything, my question this morning is, what God are you doubting? What God are you bored with? What God are you tired of sitting in a pew for? Because, I'll just leave it there. Here's the question, ultimately, I want to ask. How much of our doubt comes from unmet expectations. I want to, there, there are real questions of God. There are real questions of the church. And the next two weeks, we're going to wrestle with some of them. But before we do that, I wanted to walk into this reality that people are walking away 
unnecessarily. Because many of their doubts, they have placed themselves at the center and gone, God's not, he's not coming through. Can I get the elders and, and their spouses to, to make their places around the room for me? I just want that question to stay up there. When my oldest daughter, who's now a sophomore at ACU, was probably, she was in the youth group, so probably 7th, 8th grade, we were sharing a book. We were reading a book together called Captiv- Captivating. And so she would read a chapter, and then she'd hand it back to me, and I would read the chapter, and, and then we would discuss it. And so one night, she came in, and she said, Hey, Dad, I've finished with chapter whatever, and let me know when you finish the chapter. I said, Great, that's awesome. I opened the book, and in it was a bookmark. And in it was something our youth ministry had done the, that night or that week, and on it was written her thought bubble. I knew Morgan well enough to know she did not know that her thought bubble was in my book because her questions were rich and they were brutal and they were real. So I'm the dad and I've got to figure out how to do this and I take the bookmark and I walk into her room And the moment I opened the door, I said, hey, Morgan. And she looks up and she sees the bookmark. And sheer terror goes across my daughter, who's the oldest, get all the answers right, do it right all the time. Sheer terror. And I looked at her and I said, do you see what this is? And she goes, yes. I said, This is the greatest thing I've ever seen from you. Because it means you are wrestling with God. You're not waiting for Adrian to wrestle with God for you. You're not taking my faith or her faith or their faith or our faith. You have questions. Hmm. The next few weeks, we're going to wrestle with a couple of hard questions. And I think they're fair questions of the church. Um, but before you walk away, and young people, you, obviously, in many ways, I'm talking to you. Before you walk away, make sure you know who this one is. Make sure you know who this one is. Because just because you cherry-pick six verses, just because Sam Hitchens or... Hitchens and Harris and those guys cherry pick six verses and go, what a crazy God. Got to see the whole story. The people standing around the room, they have doubts too. They have struggles too. That's why they're standing there. We want to walk with you. We want to be with you because that's what he does with us. If there's anything this body can do, please come to us as we stand and as we sing.